Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Welcome back to These Other Words. I'm Eric Grun, and I found for you some uh, cool music every uh, every day. <laughs> they uh, post a little something else. Uh, whoever this uh, this Shiva Light uh, channel is, S H I V I or S H I V E L I G H T. Shive light, I guess shive light or shive light or shive light uh, is a is a beautiful channel, man. That, that they compose a lot of beautiful music. This particular song, uh, the imagery is a collage of various things. It's very nice, actually. Um, and it's called Jungle Kitchen. Jungle Kitchen, Hymn of the Dreamers. H-Y-M-N of the Dreamers. Hymn of the Dreamers. Album off of Folktronica, Dream Tempo. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a real blessing to find good music and uh, especially a channel that continuously, consistently plays good music or makes good music. Um, and this is just my opinion. This is the type of music that I'm into, uh, kind of avant-garde and uh, very creative, using all kinds of melodies and sounds. Um, and uh, various tracks to uh, to uh, merge them in a synchronous way um, and harmonious way so that uh, it's just um, an ongoing delight to the ears see what I mean it's like it's pretty cool man I guess it's called Folktronica. <laughs> nice, very cool music.
right, so I'm going to continue on with False Beliefs, the book, False Beliefs, Second Edition, The Serpent Seed Doctrine and Kenite Myth. And I left off at uh, page 80. I think it's in the sixth chapter. Right before the section called The Secret Keeper. Okay, let us continue with our listing of the words Kenite or Kenites found throughout the biblical text. 2 Kings 9 through 10. 2 Kings chapter 9 through chapter 10. Elisha informed a man from a company of prophets to anoint Jehu as king of Israel. Jehu destroyed the descendants of Ahab, as it was prophesied. Jehu met with Jehonadab, son of Rechab, the Rechabite, or Rechabite, and asked if he was in accord with him. Jehonadab said he was. Jehu took him along to demonstrate his zeal for God. Jehu tricked and then had the worshippers of Baal or Baal killed. Jehonadab witnessed Jehu destroying the idol worshippers. So this is the one example, I'm just going to interject here. This is one example that people say God is a crazy maniac. He's killing people just because they're worshipping stones or worshipping statues or worshipping carved images. Just because people want to worship dolls or stones or statues they don't they don't deserve to be slaughtered and killed so why did god go along with it and and was why was god okay with it but these particular religions were not simply just uh playtime with dolls you know what i mean um they entailed a philosophy of lies and not only that they um, also did other things. Lots, of, lots of clans and tribes, and uh, lots of nations who were idol worshippers, literally would kill their own children, slaughter their own children, or, or literally would um, uh, fornicate in the name of their god. And I mean, you know. People can say, okay, why is God against having sex? <laughs> He's not against having sex. But you have to understand, you have to put yourself in the biblical text. And this is, the, this is why it's important, because you're not going to understand the character of God and that God is good if you don't put yourself in the the context of the situation at hand and you don't understand the conditions that existed in those times uh, having you know prostitution as temple worship 
is not okay, you know? It's not okay in any circumstance. It's not okay even if you just, you have some morals, you know? Even if you're not a Christian. But it's definitely not okay because it is sin in the eyes of God. And look, I mean, I don't have to tell anyone that all kinds of diseases and filth and and harm comes from illicit sex and, and, and you know, prostitution, uh, not to mention, not to mention the, um, terrible emotional harm it does to our emotional soul, to our soul, you know, our emotional, the, the emotional part of us, because it's not really love, and you know that you're not, you don't love the person, the person doesn't love you, but you're just looking for a relief and a release. And God knows that. God knows that. God knows the reasons better than we do. God knows the reasons for our sin better than we do. Okay? He knows that we're hurting and we need a relief. And we need a release somehow. But it's never it's never going to actually heal us and help us if we turn toward our sin. And so these things were abominable to the Lord, and he did not want his people and his nation that he was forming to copy the other nations. And so the other nations were very violent, and the only recourse was for the Israelites and God to to tell the Israelites, you can be just as violent. You have to fight for your identity, your national identity, your identity in me. You know, I'm going to fight alongside and, and fight for you, but I expect you to fight for me. That's what God is saying. That's what is unique about the God of Israel and the God in the Bible, the God of the Bible that the Bible speaks of the test, and the Bible testifies of. That the God of the Bible is very, very much involved in our lives. Unlike many of the idols that other nations worshipped back then and still today, uh, he's involved in our lives directly. Not just, he, he didn't just give us a song or a mantra or a prayer to pray to... Uh, and and and, and um, you know and, and enliven it with power and empower it uh, to be able to help us in a time of need. It's not like we have a magical phrase or magical stone or magical thing to help us connect with God's power. No, the God of Israel, the God, the the, the God of Christians and and Jews alike, and the God over all people. Uh, if if we really um, uh, have faith and believe that he is God, is involved in our lives directly, very much so, very much so. He speaks to us through his word, and he speaks to us through um, his his people, his people who are his saints, his saints and his prophets, and so people who are close to God and who are following in God's ways and in God's laws 
are following God's dogma and following God's doctrine, that's not a bad thing because we get closer to God in faith. And when we're practicing our faith and walking out in faith, we get closer and closer and and can hear the Holy Spirit uh, correcting us um, and communing with us in communion with us, not just all the time correcting and convicting of our sin, but the Holy Spirit teaches us and brings us to all understanding. And the Holy Spirit comforts us when we're when in it, when we are in a time of need. <clears throat> so the more intimate we become with God, the better and uh, more we grow in a spiritual way. Because we are directly dealing with the Holy Spirit, who is uh, the person of God, who is the very person of God. And he is involved in our lives in every little detail, and even in ways that we don't even know of, that we're not aware of, okay? So anyway, um, back to what I was saying, okay. So, Jehonadab witnessed Jehu destroying the idol worshippers. That was in 2 Kings 9, chapter 9 through 10. 1 Chronicles, chapter 2, 55. The biblical connection between the Rechabites and the Kenites is shown in this verse. And the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez, the Tirathites, the Shimeathites, and Sukkothites, and Sukkothites, okay, <laughs> suffering succotash, <laughs> with all these crazy names, uh, I wonder what happened to those people, maybe they became some other kinds of people, but again, once again, it, you know, back then, 6,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, was much more tribal than we have today, uh, anyway, these are the Kenites that came of Hamath, the father of the house of Rechab. Supporters believe this is where the true Kenites infected the line of Judah, because the text also mentions Kenite scribes. Supporters claim that these Kenite scribes were the ones who supposedly corrupted the biblical text, making themselves virtually in invisible so others would not know they were from Satan. However, a correct manuscript in which the text explicitly tells us that the Kenites are Satan's physical children does not exist. This is merely supporters' attempt to force their commentary into the biblical text. Unable to offer any proof for their perspective, their fallback position is an uns unsubstantiated corruption argument. As one reads the actual biblical account of the Kenites, it becomes clear that this people group could hardly be called the enemies of Israel. This casts considerable doubt on supporters' take on Genesis 3.15. Also, in reading these passages, it is evident that even though the Israelites were using the same Hebrew word for both Cain and Kenites, their attitude toward the Kenites never once suggests 
that the Israelites viewed this tribe as the physical descendants of Satan. Instead, the Israelites invited the Kenites along on journeys, protected them from harm during wartime, shared the spoils of war with them, and married into their tribe. The Israelites never once acted as if there was something inherently inherently evil about the Kenites. And yet when the Israelites spoke the Kenites' name, they knew the word they were using was the very same as Cain's. This fact alone confirms that no bloodline connection exists between Satan and the Kenites. Otherwise, the Israelites would have stayed clear of the tribe. Now, some may say this is a new revelation and that the Israelites did not understand there was a connection. But now we do. Supporters should be very wary of suggesting this. It is one thing to say the New Testament is revealing something concerning the Old Testament. It is quite another for some modern teacher to claim a new revelation that is not found anywhere within the biblical text. The Bible never suggests that the Kenites were Satan's physical children. In addition, this supposed lack of information by the Israelites concerning the Kenites is rather cruel and again puts God in a bad light. Why would God allow the Israelites to befriend and marry the descendants of Satan? As one unpeels the Kenite myth, it becomes clear that it is an attack on God's character. And uh, there is no shortage. Uh, this is me speaking apart from this section. I, I finished this section and there's no shortage of uh, assaulting God's character um, and uh, using the Bible, using the Bible to try to make it into a weapon against God. Um, just as much as there is no shortage of uh, s supposed believers in the Bible and supposed Christians persecuting other people and obviously ostracizing uh, people and, and picking on people in the name of God. Okay, both things exist equally true. There are just as many uh, scoffers and mockers uh, at, of the Bible and trying to, trying to assault and, and, and uh, abusers of the Bible trying to twist God's words to make it a weapon against God as there are uh, people who don't really represent God in their actions by picking on other people and uh, outcasting them and, uh, and stigmatizing them. Um, you know, we can all be guilty of these things. And the fact is we need to confess when we do assault God's character, when we do assault each other's character, when we do um, place the blame on others, when we do picket sign against others and protest against others, when we do outcast others and, and put them on the fringe, and when we do corner people and, and uh, uh, 
you know, point our fingers at people. I, I'm guilty of it. I, I, I admit. And um, we need to be very careful with what we, what we do and what we say to each other because there is a place where we can all meet in peace and that place is definitely the place that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ when he was on earth and definitely demonstrated by the New Testament when Jesus spoke to the masses that they were full of the crowds were full of all kinds of people and yet he was able to bring them all together and 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 teach in a way with authority and teach in a way that nobody had ever heard before because he was saying uh he was saying things like your enemies are your neighbors, you know? Like, uh, the Jews considered the um, Samaritans enemies, you know? Um, and he was saying things like, who is your neighbor? The Samaritan is your neighbor, you know? He was teaching, like, your neighbor, you know, like, uh, like you should give to Caesar what he expects you to give, like, in other words, the tax, like taxes. He wasn't against taxes. He wasn't here to try to tell us to change anything except our hearts and our minds. He was only telling us that we need to be born again in a spirit, in the spirit, and in truth to be able to transform into the likeness of God and to transform and know God. Uh, so he wasn't trans he wasn't trying to change the outside so much as he was he was um, teaching and preaching in order for us to to be able to change from the inside out you know from the inside of our hearts and minds um, and so the Holy Spirit still does that work today that is the spirit of truth and that is the spirit of righteousness and and holiness so. He still does that work today, as much as he did it in in uh, the first century. So Jesus, his name is powerful, just as powerful was as it was in the first century. Even though people knew Jesus as Yeshua, we can say Yeshua if it makes you more, feel more comfortable or connected with him. I grew up saying Jesus. That's just the English version of Yeshua, and so. He's just as real as he was when he walked upon the earth 2,000 years ago. Today, he's just as real today. And we can talk to him just as much. And we can depend on him just as much. And we can ask him to heal our, us just as much. As a matter of fact, last night, my mother couldn't... Uh, not last night, the night before. She couldn't sleep. She was restless. She couldn't get any rest because her leg was swollen and I prayed over her leg, and we, we were both praying and asking God, and in the name of Jesus, asking Him to to give her sleep and rest, and to help her, and to, to decrease the, the inflammation in her leg. And last night, she was able to get some sleep. So that's progress, and I believe 
that God is involved in these little minute little details, even like like they say, the devil's in the detail. Well, well, really, God's grace. God is in the detail, the detail of the detail, really, you know, because he's all pervasive and he is ever he's a spirit that is everywhere. So he knows everything. He knows exactly what's going on. And the answer to like people going, oh, why does he allow all this evil things? We have free will. We have free will. We can choose. He doesn't take our choices away from us. But, you know, uh, some of us are going to choose to believe in superstitions like the serpent seed doctrine and Cain had was a was a son of Satan. And that uh, that's what that's what it was meant uh, by the offspring of Satan. And some of us are going to understand that the offspring of Satan are those who lie, cheat and steal and kill and destroy those who give in to sin and literally become like Satan. That's that's what it means, the offspring of Satan. But the offspring of God will triumph and have victory over those who have who are evil, who give in to evil. Those who give in to Jesus Christ, those who give in to God, those who give in to God's spirit, those who give in to love, will triumph, will triumph over those who give in to hate and and violence and and um, destruction, you know, chaos and confusion. You know, God is not a God of confusion. He does not anything, nothing of God is confusing okay it's nothing of god is confusing if we just go to him read his word and ask him he will give us through his holy spirit he will give us insight into what we want to know okay so let me continue wait excuse me one second i need to i'll be right back Okay, all right, the secret keeper. As shown, supporters seem unconcerned about altering the biblical, uh, the biblical flood account, about altering the biblical flood account. <laughs> it's like a tongue twister. Yeah. As well as the actual characteristics of the Kenite tribe. Their alterations do not stop there. They move on to the New Testament and misconstrue several verses to claim how hybrids were active during Christ's ministry on earth. They begin with Matthew 13, verses 37 through 39. In these verses, supporters assert Christ 
is confirming this very idea to his disciples when he was alone with them by giving them a kind of, quote, you know what I really mean, quote, explanation of the parable of the weeds, or in parentheses, tares. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. That is the uh, quote uh, from uh, Matthew 13, 37 through 39. The Kenite myth explains the tares, quote-unquote tares, which are sowed by the devil, are the physical children of Satan. Believing, however, that Christ is speaking in literal physical terms here produces a problem. If it is accepted that Christ was explaining that the tares were to be understood in the physical sense, then it follows in these, in these verses that Christ was explaining he sowed his own physical children. By the way, which is not true. <laughs> which, is, which, was, which is not what Jesus was proclaiming. Okay, it is this author's opinion that supporters do not comprehend these verses in this way at all. In fact, what they are doing is recognizing the quote-unquote good seed of Christ in the spiritual sense, and then understanding Satan's children in the physical sense. Supporters seem to suggest it awesome understand Satan's children in the spiritual sense, but the fact remains that they are doing so when it comes to Christ's children. Despite what they may claim, understanding these verses in the spiritual sense is not a foreign concept to them. Supporters use this same distinction between the spiritual and physical again in 1 John. Quote, Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. These verses have nothing to do with the supposed physical descendants of Satan. It concerns the actions of those who follow God in comparison to those who don't, who do not. Those who truly believe in Christ will have a life marked not by sin, but by righteousness. In other words, salvation should shape how one, how one lives. Therefore, if sin defines a person's life, that individual cannot claim he or she is following God. One of the main witnesses of this is of loving Okay, I'm sorry. 
yeah, one of the main witnesses of this is of loving or not loving your brother or sister in Christ. First John two, First John two, chapter two, verses ten through eleven, tells us, "He that loveth his brother abides in the light, and there is none, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him." But he that hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and knows not where, and knows not whither he goes, and knows not where he goes, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. The text goes on to use Cain as an example of one who did not love his brother, since after all he murdered him. Cain murdered his brother Abel. Quote, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous, and his brother's works righteous. That's why Cain slew Abel. Because he was giving God, God asked for the first fruits, and he was giving God the second fruits and keeping the first fruits for himself, like keeping the best for himself, and just tossing God a, a few crumbs. And he knew that his, and, and so God showed him that he wouldn't accept his, his offerings, okay? So, uh, Cain knew that he was doing evil, but he saw his brother offering the best of what he had, and that God was receiving it, and God was um, accepting Abel's sacrifices and offerings. And so, out of envy and jealousy, um, uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. And according to this verse, it says... In essence, Cain's thoughts, it says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, who was of that wicked one. What made him of that wicked one was his thoughts, his murderous thoughts against his brother, and his envy and jealousy, and his disobeying God, and his disobeying God. So his actions made him of that wicked one. It doesn't mean that he was a child of Satan. It means that he was a child of Satan in a way through his actions. And so that is the distinction that we make. If we give into sin, if we give into our sin, we are becoming children of Satan. If we're given to Christ and God's ways and surrender ourselves to love and to love each other, we're making ourselves um, children of God and Jesus Christ has given us the right to make ourselves children of God and follow him of our own free will okay carrying on these verses refer to Cain as one quote who was of that wicked one supporters again think this phrase is some revelation concerning Cain being the offspring of Satan however the supposed familial lineage 
the supposed familial lineage of Satan is not the topic. These verses are found in an area of text that explains how sin will be by default how sin will by default define the life of anyone who does not follow God. Once we decide to follow God, we become the children of God in the spiritual sense. This is celebrated in the well-known verse of 1 John 3.1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We can conclude by this verse that before being saved, we were not considered the sons of God or children of God in the spiritual sense. Verse 2 explains this further by stating that now are we the children of God or sons of God. Cain just so happened not to be in this godly spiritual state. His downfall was not due to him being Satan's physical son, but because he was not sincerely following God, which led him to a life of sin, which caused him not to love his brother, which ultimately brought about his murderous act against his brother. First John three oh first first John three fifteen takes this concept takes this concept excuse me takes this concept even further by referring to Cain whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer in other words even if you don't murder your brother in Christ but simply hate him you are considered a murderer remember how i said jesus said that those who we consider our enemies are our neighbors. And so Jesus very much would have agreed with that this statement saying, uh, because it, this is God's word, that if you hate another person, you are murdering them, in essence, murdering them. So, you know, we have to repent of our, of our if you, we have any thoughts, ill thoughts toward each other, and hateful thoughts toward each other. We hate on each other. We're literally killing each other. Okay? So that's something that Jesus did believe in. So he said, you are considered a murderer. Verse 15 continues by stating a murderer does not have eternal life abiding in him. Of course, if you place your faith in God and repent of hating your brother or committing the act of murder you will find eternal life in God. The main point of 1 John is you cannot go around calling yourself a Christian all the while despising your fellow brother or sister in Christ. The two are incompatible. This is why the text offers Cain as an example. Supporters go on to claim that the Gospel of John records Christ actually speaking with the offspring of Satan, uh, in brackets, the Kenites. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, 
ye shall be free indeed. I know that years. I know that. Oh, sorry. I know that ye are Abraham's seed. But ye seek to kill me. But you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do not, and and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek, you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not, this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. God is our father. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he who has sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abides, and he abides not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? Oh, sorry. Uh, which of you convicts me of sin? Uh, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. During this interaction, Christ first agreed that these men were the physical offspring of Abraham, but then he completely denied it further on in his speech. After he pointed out that the group of men wanted to kill him, Christ said, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. What are we to conclude from this? Kenite myth supporters want us to deduce that Christ is pointing out that these Jews are Satan's physical descendants who intermingled with the line of Judah, thus making them both Abraham's and Satan's children? This does not work, however, since at the beginning of these verses, Christ said they were of Abraham. Then, further on, Christ implied that they were not of Abraham. If we take these verses in the physical literal sense, as supporters want us to do, Christ ends up contradicting himself. Due to this, the only way to make this not a contradiction is to understand that Christ was speaking about the spiritual state of these men. Christ was telling this crowd of Jews that in a physical sense, they were from 
Abraham, the beginning of his statement, but in the spiritual sense, they were not of Abraham, the middle of the statement, because they were of Satan, their father, quote-unquote father, in the spiritual sense. As stated in, in Ephesians, anyone who has become a Christian can relate to these verses, for we, too, at one point in our journeys before knowing Christ, were followers of sin and Satan and unable to hear the gospel. In the following verses, Paul explains what believers were before the grace of God saved them. Quote, and you hath, and you hath no, uh, I'm sorry, and you hath he, and you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as were others, even as others, even as others were. There was nothing unique about the crowd of Jews that Jesus, that Christ was speaking to in John 8, chapter 8, 34 through 47, since we've all been there and done that. Supporters go on to use the book of Revelation to show how the Kenites are actually still among us today and into the future. Quote, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. In using this verse, along with Revelation 3.9, supporters seem to suggest that the Kenites are those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. However, when we take this verse literally, as supporters do, we end up concluding that it is those who are not ethnically of Judah who are the synagogue of Satan. Most supporters argue the real problem is Jewish Kenites. However, if taken literally, this verse would be telling us that it is the non-ethnic Jews who are the synagogue of Satan. Christ does not even mention supposed Jewish Kenites in this verse. Coming to the conclusion of the, this section... This brings us to the true meaning of this passage. The Jews who called themselves Jews were not so in the spiritual sense since they followed and persisted in Satan's ways by continuing to persecute the believers of Christ. Romans 2, chapter 2, verses 28-29 explains who a true Jew is in the spiritual sense. The core reason supporters use Revelation 2.9 and 3.9 is that it is part of a summary of seven churches found at the beginning of the book of Revelation. To most, this section of text either 
is a prophecy concerning the seven stages of the historical church or refers to seven churches that represent the kinds of churches that will be in existence at the end of this age. Supporters accept the latter explanation and focus on the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia, where the text includes the synagogue of Satan phrase. Supporters argue that Christ was happy with these two churches because they were the only ones who knew who the synagogue of Satan really was. To supporters... These are the Kenites. The expression synagogue of Satan does not provide a bloodline connection. This phrase is only telling us that these people assembled in the church of Satan, or better still, followed Satan's ways. No familial link is being revealed here between Satan and the individuals who called themselves Jews. Christ also never explains that he was pleased with these churches because they believed in or taught the Kenite myth and serpent seed doctrine. As the book of Revelation tells us, the church of Smyrna was appreciated by Christ because they were enduring the persecution from the Jews who had denied Christ. Similarly, Revelation 3.8 informs us that Christ was pleased with the church of Philadelphia because it was keeping God's word and not denying Christ's name in the midst of this similar treatment. Supporters seem to be suggesting that the Jews were threatening these two churches because they were vocalizing the serpent seed doctrine and Kenite myth. Notice how these teachings remove Christ from the center of attention. The truth is these churches were being persecuted because they believed in and were preaching Christ. Again, these verses have nothing to do with the serpent seed doctrine or the Kenite myth. Supporters attempt to insert themselves into these two churches to give credence to their beliefs. This approach fails when none reads the text and comes to see that Christ is the focus. Okay, and this is where the section ends. The next section is called Mission Colon Control. Mission Control. <laughs> Mission Control. Earth, Earth to Eric. Earth, Earth to Eric. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... Uh, this is the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Um, keep me in prayer as I shall keep uh, all my listeners in prayer. Um, and uh, God bless you. And and uh, that's it. Uh, I wish I can leave you with a little bit more music, but the music ended. <laughs> God bless. Until next time.